As long as you don't kick back too far, you should be good. In a sense, don't go to sleep on me. Uh, If you would turn with me this morning to Romans, we're back in Romans, Romans chapter 3. It's tough really when you're talking about the atonement to get away from Romans. Romans chapter 3, this is also where we began our series that we're in right now on atonement and what it means, what... God has done for us to make us one with Him. The first Sunday we looked at what atonement means, which is to be at one with God. Literally, at one The second Sunday of this series, we looked at why there's even a need for atonement. I mean, if we're talking about a need to be one with God, why are we not born one with God? And it's because we're born sinful. We're born into sin. We have a sinful bent to our nature. We want to please, number one, and not God. That's the way our natural selves are as we protect me. Not give, not love, not trust. We cover, we protect. That's our natural instinct, so to speak. And so there's a need for atonement in our lives. We must be made one with God. If we're born into sin, then we must be reborn into the Spirit the Bible says. Which is exactly what Jesus tells Nicodemus, isn't it? You must be born again. And so then last week we looked at the great reversal. If we got ourselves tangled up in all this stuff, if we're the ones who, because of our own sin, not just the sin of Adam and Eve, but now because of our own sin, if we've gotten entangled, enslaved into sin, Jesus comes along and He becomes the last Adam. So if, so if because of one man, Adam, all sinned, Romans says, all died in Adam, then so too because of one man, Jesus Christ, we can all be made alive. We can all be delivered from sin. So we've kind of skipped around here in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. Now we're back to Romans. Notice here and read uh, along here with me in Romans chapter 3. And we're going to start with verse 21. Now Paul is summarizing. Let me just uh, give you a little context here. Chapter 1, Gentiles are sinful. Chapter 2, Jews are sinful. Chapter 3, notice what he says. Uh, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You so much for Your Word. 
Bless now this reading of Your Word, the preaching of it, and our response to what You have to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, life is filled with problems. (laughs) Everyone could give an amen to that. It seems like at times, especially when you get into adulthood, it seems at times that you're just going from one problem to the next. And you're just waiting for the next one to arrive so that you can start problem solving. And life can get interesting at times. As the old aphorism says, when it rains, it pours. And haven't you found that to be true in your life? (laughs) When it rains, it pours. It seems like when everything starts getting busy, yeah, everything else is going to pick up pace as well. Uh, It's just the way life seems to be. It's It's a true saying. So too, in the Bible, there's problems. <laughs> uh, we run into problems in chapter 3. We can't even get three chapters in and we run into the problem, which is, again, to use bad English, it, the problem is me. It's me. The problem, I found the problem and the problem is me. It's me, myself, and I. And we've looked at that problem. That problem is Sin. It's fascinating that when you look at the world's religions, all of them, they're based on really two movements. When you boil it all down, they've obviously got different beliefs and varying beliefs, but when you boil it all down, they're both actually trying to do the same thing. And that is solve two things, or really two movements. One is there's a problem, and identify that problem. What is the problem? You know, some would say it's ignorance. Some say, hey, look, you just need knowledge. The Gnostics said that. So does Buddhism. It's all philosophical. All you have to do is think rightly and you're enlightened. Once you're enlightened, you're not ignorant anymore. So ignorance is the problem. Some have identified the problem as as the body. Some say, look, because you're human, that's a problem. (laughs) Not much to disagree about that, but is, is the body itself, the physical body, really the problem? The Bible doesn't identify the body as the problem. Instead, Paul uses a very technical term, flesh. It doesn't mean flesh and blood here. Sarks is the term he's using. He's meaning nature. Our nature is distorted. Our, to be sitting in a human body is not sinful. If it was, then Jesus sinned. And we know that Jesus did not sin. He was without sin, and yet He took on a human body from Mary. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was gestated in her womb, just like my son was. And then finally, he was born. And all the good things that come out of of that process, the beautiful process that is, and yet the mysterious process of bringing a new life into the world. I mean, it's something that never gets old. You know, here, here my son, I see his face, which is the most identifying thing about a human person is their face. I see his face for the first time, and he's not breathing. He has, a, he has a cord wrapped around his neck. And the doctor says, hey, a cord is wrapped around his neck. And of course, my heart stops, as does Jessica's. And he says, it's okay. We've got this taken care of. He clamps the cord, he cuts it, and he comes out, and I see him take his first breath. The first breath, I pray, of many breaths. You took a first breath, and you're still breathing from that first breath. Isn't it fascinating? Human life. God has given us such a wonderful... Jesus experienced it. He had a body, 
a real... If you cut it, he would have bled, which he did. And yet it's not sinful to be in a human body. So the body, Christianity, doesn't identify as the problem. It's the person inside the body. (laughs) I'm the problem again. That's what Christianity, that's what the Bible is saying. But there are some religions that would say, look, the body needs to be denied. And so you have things like Jainism and parts of Hinduism that are all about self-denial. Now, of course, we Christians do self-denial too. We we have Lent where we say to our body, look, body, you're not going to get what you want. Because sometimes you can get out of control getting what you want. You know, you eat a couple chocolate uh, brownies and, and you, go, you go nuts on it. You need to be reined in. Right? You know, it's fascinating being an adult. We as adults don't have supervision always like we need. You know, we think to ourselves, oh yeah, I got this now. I mean, you know, I did. By the way, I also turned 32 Friday. So I said to myself, you know, look man, you don't need somebody looking over your shoulder. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. (laughs) By the way, somebody always is looking over your shoulder. He's called the Father (laughs) in heaven. We take toys away from our kids in order to simplify their life. And yet, sometimes as adults, we continue to build the toys, don't we? Because we don't have the supervision of someone taking it away. Some of us need to simplify, which is the point of Lent. It's to simplify. It's to reduce. It's to get down to what is really needed and tell the body, you are not in control. Desires, passions, I'm not going to be led by those alone. I'm not just beastly, animal, alone. There is a soul here that also must be taken care of. That also must be fed. Just as the body is fed, so too must my soul be fed. And most of us operate from week to week only feeding the outside. Only feeding the body. I mean, most of our work doesn't focus. I dare say most of your jobs don't have something that you do to to energize your spirit. To energize your soul. To feed your soul. But that's what Sunday's for. That's what the Word of God is for every single day. We are told to feed on it. Jesus says in John 6, I am the Word. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Feed on me in your hearts by faith. It's fascinating. So some have identified the body. No, no. The problem here is sin. The problem here again is sin. And so all religions, they have two movements again. One is the problem, the other is the solution. And so does Christianity. It is a religion after all. It has a problem and it offers a solution. Now the solution is very different than the, than the other world religions. I teach world religions, so I try to, my best to study these other guys and read their material and read their original sources and where they came from and their leaders. And They're nothing like Christianity. And in some ways, they're a lot like Christianity. It's fascinating. Here's the deal. We know that the answer is the cross. You know, no Christian is going to disagree that the answer is something else. The answer is the cross. That's God's answer to our problem. But what was the question? Many of us gloss over the question and never really ask it. Why did He have to use the cross? Why couldn't He wave His wand? Why couldn't He have spoken a sovereign word? He is in charge of everything, isn't He? 
Absolutely. Why did it take taking on flesh and bones, a body? Why did it take the gruesome murder of the cross? If the cross is the answer, what was the problem? The problem's not just forgiveness of sins. The sacrifices in the Old Testament, they took care of that problem. God said, look, if you will take a lamb and you will kill it in place of your own sin, so you sin, but you take this lamb, lay your hands on it, confess your sin. I did X, Y, Z. Therefore, you're transferring your sin to this lamb and then they slit the throat and the life's blood of that lamb leaves it. It falls to the ground. Then you begin to dissect it, essentially. I mean, quite frankly, when you start reading the Old Testament, the priest's job was, was, uh, was much more like a butcher than it was someone in a tie preaching. God had a remedy for the forgiveness of sins even in the Old Testament. But as we know, the story doesn't end in the Old Testament. God has a full salvation that He has to offer to us. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. That's just the beginning. Most of us, however, have made that the only salvation we're looking for. I just want to be forgiven of my sins so I can keep living like I have been living. And escape hell. I'm telling you, that's only the beginning. Not the end. Jesus is the end all. And He didn't come just to forgive us of sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what is Paul doing here? Paul says, look, all have fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned against God. As we've said before, we're all in the same boat. No one in this room can stand up and say, look, I'm righteous by myself. I'm justified by myself. By my own right. No one can. You see, our problem is deeper than we think it is. It's deep within our soul. And God must reach deep down, apparently, because His answer is the cross. His answer is Jesus' cross. Jesus' death in our place. So think about it. The first sacrifice that happens is Abel. Unless you back it up to where God clothes Adam and Eve. Now, if He clothed them with animal skin, because remember, they they went and picked some fig leaves. God says, no, that's not going to do it. And apparently He kills an animal and clothes them with skin. Something had to die. Remember what the original command was to them? The original instruction, just like we instruct our children, just like I was telling them about your instructions and your rules. God says, look, the day that you eat of that fruit... You'll die. You'll die. The servant comes along and says, you'll surely not die. Just just change that one little word there, like he always does. Offers us something extra 
You won't die and you'll be like God. What's wrong with that? You see, again, the problem is we fail God. We must die. It's a sentence on our life. We sin, we die. Period. And if God is to be holy, which the Bible says God is holy, therefore you be holy. If God is holy and just, then He's going to carry out that punishment. Just like as a parent, if I'm holy and just to my children, then when I say, don't do that or you're not getting it, if they do it, they better not get it. If not, what I'll set up for my kids, and you've seen this before, is that you're lying to them. They can't trust you. If you constantly say to them, hey, if you do that again, I'm going to do this, and you don't do it, how can they trust you? And if a kid can't trust you, they're never going to obey you. Not look... I know, I've got four boys. I know how hard it is to stay faithful to that, to stay consistent to that. I don't always do it. I fall prey to my own instruction in parenting. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, does it? (laughs) We instruct all the time about how to drive, and yet sometimes we slip and break the rules. Yeah, it doesn't mean you stop. God is the best parent And He will do what He says He'll do. So if He says that we will die if we sin, we're going to die unless He makes a way. (laughs) Which is what He's done. That's what we're talking about today is atonement. How did God make us one with Himself even after we were separated? Because He did it Himself. He became one of us to take the punishment for us. Just like the Israelites were told to take the innocent lamb who had done nothing deserving of death. During Passover, you had to keep the lamb in your house for about two weeks. Just imagine in my house with four boys, right? Some new pet comes around. They're all about it. You know, they're at the front door. Look, Daddy, there's Missy, which is the outside cat that often kills things and offers sacrifices at my front door. Um, which we don't want those sacrifices, but she tends to offer them anyway. In particular, when people are coming to look at our house when we're trying to sell it. And there's some gutted rabbit or who knows what. It's unidentifiable at that point. Well, in the Old Testament, you had to actually keep this pet this little white, innocent lamb in your house. The kids would pet it every day. You'd say, alright, Billy, see you, buddy. As you left the door. Every single day for work. And then, after that, you said, alright guys, we're going to the temple to worship God. Okay, we're bringing Billy. Well, Billy's not going to go home with us today. This is going to be it for Billy. And the dad because of the sins of the children and his family and himself, would lay his hands on that lamb and there would be a transfer of the guilt of death. The sentence of death. Now, most of us don't... This is just ho-hum to us. Yeah, we already know this. What are you talking... Listen, most of you have never had a sentence of death on your life. 
but you have. But you have. More real than the judge telling you you're going to die because of something you've done. God is saying you're going to die because of something you've done. He's holy. And He's just. And He's faithful to do what He said. And yet, He's made a way to transfer that guilt to an animal. Now, you remember, He stopped Abraham's hand, right? From human sacrifice. And yet, it was pointing to Jesus. You see, it's often been said that Jesus paid it all, right? We sing the song, Jesus paid it all. And He did. But to whom? Who does He pay the debt to? Is it to Satan? Who was offended by our sin? It was God. God pays God's own debt. You hear what Paul says there? He's just and the justifier. He's the priest offering the sacrifice and the sacrifice. He is a human who can die in another's place, and yet He's God and able to save. What a salvation! We have a death sentence on our life. And yet, Jesus becomes one of us to bear that. Isn't that what Isaiah foresees? He bore our iniquities. He took it off. He became... What does John identify him at? John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When you transferred to that lamb, it was killed. They sent another lamb out, emblematic that the sins were taken away. And it was never to return to the camp again. What does God say about forgiveness of sins? He cast them as far as the east is from the west. Never to return. He's never going to hold it against you. Praise be to God. My sins, if we were to write them up here, I would be so embarrassed I would probably die on the floor here before you. If we were to write your sins on this wall, and yet by His blood, by His, because He's the Lamb, He has erased them. They're erased. He's not going to hold it against you. <laughs> Praise be to God. He's, he's just and He's also the justifier. You see, it's more important to know Jesus' sacrifice for yourself, to know that He died in your place than it is to understand it. 
to have it applied. To have the blood of Jesus applied by faith. We're talking about atonement, which is something we're not going to be able to fully understand. Kind of like the Holy Trinity. The God that we serve is an amazing God. You'll never get bored with Him. He's not something that you can just learn about and read about and then put up on a shelf. He's personal. Persons never get boring. As I've often said before, my grandparents on both sides have been married over 60 years. Now, we lost Pappy about a year ago. This April a year ago. Um, but both sides have been married over 60 And you know what? They still got into arguments, which I find fascinating. You think, after 60 years of being with someone, you've been with them longer than you've not been with them. And yet, you're still learning them. <laughs> Persons are unique, unrepeatable. There'll never be another you. Ever. And they're mysterious. Wonderful, the Bible says. Sometimes it's hard to see the wonder, but God sees it. It's the same kind of thing that He sees, or sorry, that I see in my children. Sometimes they're little terrorists. They really are. They're terrorizing each other. And yet, I can see down the road what they can become. I know that this can be corrected. God knows that your sin can be corrected. The beginning is forgiveness. The correction is sanctification. The correction happens by the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. He must forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from sin inside. He's got to scrub us down. We're going to have to put some things to death. But you know what? He's taken away the sins of the whole world. He has freed us. That estrangement, that gap has been satisfied by the cross. He Himself was the answer. God couldn't find... Isaiah says, God looked and there was no one to stand in the gap. There was no one to mediate between God and man except for the mediator Himself who was the God-man, Jesus Christ. Who stands in the gap in the sign of a cross with one hand on the Father's and the other on us. He is the one mediator, the one person, the one body that saves us. In Christianity, it's not about a concept or an idea that we believe in. We believe in a body, in a person who is Jesus Christ. It's not some kind of fantastical thing or metaphysical thing we make up in our mind. No, you respond today just like you would respond to me and what I'm saying to you. Today I'm pleading with you as if I am Christ. That's what Paul says. So you reject the words that are coming out of my mouth today. You literally reject Jesus. It's nothing about me. I'm His representative. I'm an ambassador for Him today. I'm His mouthpiece just like the prophets were. You reject a person. You reject Jesus. And what you do is you end up putting yourself on the cross. You're not going to make it. Your sacrifice won't do it because you're not God. You see, something really interesting happened at the cross. And that is a holy God 
who has to keep a moral order in the world, who has to punish sin, just like you have to punish disobedience in your house. Just like the police officer has to punish your your disobedience to civil law. God who is just. God who is holy. God who is moral. Meets God who is love. God who is engaging. God who is reaching out. These are not two separate gods. This is the same coin. Different sides, if you will. Holiness and love kiss. Psalm 85 and verse 10 says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. So here's this holy requirement, you will surely die because of your sin, that meets God's love and what we can become. And on the cross, holiness and love meet in Jesus Christ, in His person. And He satisfies, not me, He satisfies God's requirement. God satisfies God's requirement, which is to punish Sin. Jesus bore our iniquity. He went to be slaughtered as a lamb was to be slaughtered. And He never said a word. He died in my place. I'm the one who put Him there. Let's just be honest this morning. I'm the one who put Him there. Marshall did. My own sin did. And you too. And He satisfied in Himself. He found a mediator, but it was His Son. His Son chose to become one of us in order to save us. In order to raise us up to God. What an amazing salvation. What an amazing solution to our problem. He didn't just wave a wand. He sent a person. He didn't just throw some money at the problem. He sent a person who is Jesus Christ who is blessed forever, amen, because of who He is, because of what He's done. In Him, holiness and love meet righteousness and the peace of God. You know what? We all have to meet Jesus. Every one of us is under the curse. Every one of us is under the sentence of death. If you try to justify yourself, you're putting yourself on the cross. It's not going to work. God's justice and wrath will overtake you. But Jesus, but Jesus, if you allow Him to go to the cross for you, you'll be saved. It's just as simple as that, and yet as complicated as that. It costs God something to provide salvation. It wasn't just some kind of little cheap thing He did. God suffered in my place. God died 
in my place. What are you going to do about that? Is it just a cheap gift to you? Because if it's cheap, you just keep living the same old life, asking forgiveness, using God. Just like we've all seen people used in relationships. No. He can change your heart. He can change your life. He can transform your nature. Praise be to God through the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He is called the Holy Spirit who is the love between the Father and the Son. He is love Himself. God is love. God is holy. Therefore you be holy. Therefore you go in love. It's what we're called to do. Do you know Jesus Christ that way? Have you experienced that deliverance? Have you allowed the cross to be the solution to your problem? Every one of us has a cross. We must, Jesus says, deny ourselves, take up our own cross, and follow Him. Have you done that? Have you really done that? I, I know somebody, I know you believe in God. All right? that, that's, that James says, look, even demons believe that. Get over it. Stop patting yourself on the back. At least I'm not atheist. It's not, that's not even, the, not even the point here. Have you taken up your cross? Have you died to yourself? One of the best indicators is what other people say about you. What are people, what are people saying about you? What, are, what, are, what do they see in you? Is it selfishness? Do you leave every conversation with producing death or life? The Spirit produces life in us. Now obviously some people aren't indicators of that. You can't gauge on everybody's what everybody's saying. But you know what I mean. What does your husband say? What does, your, what does your wife say? Are they always saying that you're selfishly motivated? Look, I've heard those words. I'm not going to stand here and act like I haven't. What, what, is, what, what are you really producing in your life? Jesus can change it. Jesus can help you go to the cross like He did to die to yourself so that you might rise in new life. Do you want that? Do you have that? Do you know the witness of the Spirit in your own life? He was the sacrifice for my sin. He satisfied God's requirement, not me. Will you allow Him to be the satisfaction today? Are you at one with God? You can be. Amen.